Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving and I know we had an unusual Thanksgiving as this season has been different, so a lot of Zooming in, a lot of doing that this um, uh, this uh, Thanksgiving, but I hope you were blessed by it. Hey, I just want to give a shout out uh, this morning to my daughter. Happy birthday, Erica. It's her birthday today. So um, I wanted to give a shout out. She's my eldest and so blessed and, and honored. My kids, I love my kids, so I just wanted to honor her today. Hey, we're going to continue on, on uh, the study through Philemon as we've been talking about profitable looking at the sermon series is called Profitable. So if you open your Bibles to Philemon, we're going to look at verses uh, this morning, 17 to 22. The title of the sermon is Obedience is Profitable. Obedience is Profitable. We know we get that word profitable because that's the name for Onesimus. His name means profitable or useful. And you're, you're seeing that throughout this whole sermon series, how doing certain things is profitable. And I know Pastor Mike did a, a wonderful ser- uh, sermon last week as I got to watch it. I was away, Julie and I were away in, at Sedona just to get a little retreat, to have a little break a little bit, just kind of processing the loss of my mom and all that. And so we went on this hike on the Sunday morning, up, up high up in Sedona Mountains, and we were sitting on the rock. And But by the grace of God, we were able to get reception, and we watched the service last Sunday in the wilderness, in the wilderness, watching us still being a part of what was going on. So we are so blessed because we love this family, we're committed to this family, and I know this family just poured their love on us during the semen. But we're going to be in Philemon, Philemon 1, chapter seven, verse 17 to 22. Listen, there's a phrase we all know that action speaks louder than words. In fact, you could trace that phrase back hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, Abraham Lincoln used it on one of his speeches in 1856. A Puritan pastor or clergyman, Thomas Menton, used it in his sermon in 1693. Parliamentarian John Payne paraphrased it in 1620, saying, actions are more precious than words. A French a philosopher, Michael de Montaigne, wrote in 1628, saying is one thing, doing is another. In fact, you could trace it all the way back to the 1100s, uh, a sermon by St. Anthony of Puda, who said this, action speaks louder than words. Let your words teach and your actions speak. We are full of words, but empty of actions and therefore are cursed by the Lord. Since he himself cursed the fig tree when we found no fruit by only leaves, Gregory says, a law is laid upon the preachers to practice what he preaches. It is useless for a man to flaunt his knowledge of the law if he undermines it with teachings by his actions. In fact, we know the apostle James says, faith without works is dead. And Jesus even said, if you love me, you obey my commands. And I really believe that's what Paul is driving at this point with this letter, he's writing to a personal friend named Philemon. He's saying, put your faith into action. Let your words speak louder. Let your actions speak louder than your words, Onesimus. No longer, you're no longer a slave, but you're now a brother in Christ. Onesimus, he's coming to Philemon and the book is challenging Philemon to receive Onesimus back into the family. Receive not only to his personal family as a servant and as, but now as a brother in Christ. And that's really the challenge we're going to see as we talk about restoration and reconciliation and, and all that's going on. Because that book is a powerful letter written from a personal friend on a personal issue. 
Guys, we know it's hard to, sometimes relationships be hard when we have conflict and we have different things going on, but we have to be one in Christ and one in heart as we look at just this own story. Paul was counting on his deep relationship to move Philemon to refresh him by receiving Onesimus back. He has just, we know that Pastor uh, uh, Mike last week talked about a request that Paul had written to Philemon. It was, a, it was a gracious request, and now he's counting on obedience response. You know, it's hard to forgive somebody who's hurt you, who's violated you, who broke your trust. But in this story, the circumstances have changed. The enemy has become a brother. You know why? Because that's the power of the gospel. The gospel changes lives. The gospel transforms heart. That's the power of the gospel. And so when the gospel is always moving, how does that gospel, how do the, the values of that gospel, how does the living spirit in us move us as God's people to respond to people that have hurt us or, or done things to us? And really, we know this is a story about Onesimus who, who robbed Philemon and who, who took advantage of his family and he fled, trying to flee from his own responsibility. But Paul is writing this letter and he's saying, look it, it's all worked out for the good. Receive him back. Take him back. God's done this great work. He's been profitable. He's been useful for me. And so what I want to do is I want to read the text this morning, starting at verse 17 to 22, and it says this. If then you count me as part, partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hands, and I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trusted that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak this morning. Father, we know that your Holy Spirit still speaks and you speak to our hearts, you speak to our minds, you speak to our soul. Father, I pray that you will refresh us this morning as we enter into your word. Father, you would instruct us by it. We're gonna be challenged to some things in our own lives, Lord. And I pray there are gonna be some hard things, but we know when we are obedient to you, they're, they're profitable. Good things come from them. And so I pray for our time this morning that you'll be glorified and you'll be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be looking at three things this morning. Here's the first thing. Obedience means interceding for others. Obedience means interceding for others. We see that in verse 17 and 18. You know, I know we have the Disney Channel now, and I know some of you are watching The Mandalorian, and you're watching all those shows, but Disney made the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Johnny Depp movie and all that, and there's a famous word in, those, in that movie, and what was it, if you remember? Parlay. Remember the word they call parlay? It's actually a, a French word that means to speak. It's a word that would invoke a code to have a conversation or to negotiate to establish a treaty. What Paul was doing in some sense to Philemon, he's calling parlay. Hey, I'm gonna invoke a code, a, a biblical code, a code because the Bible has codes by which we live life. There's, there's treaties and, 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 and commands we're called to fight and that one is to forgive and to restore and to, to reconcile and, and to work all those things out. And so what he's doing in his letter, he's going, parlay, Philemon, parlay is what he's doing here. 
And so he's, what is he invoking? He's invoking the golden rule, right? Look at verse 17 and 18. It says this, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. I'm reminded of Jesus' own sermon on the mount. When he writes, whatever you do, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets. Read that in Matthew 7, 12. The gospel of Luke rephrases that same thought by saying, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. What is that? That's called the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But what do you see Paul doing first of all? Here, he's interceding on behalf of Onesimus. He's advocating on behalf of Onesimus. I think Paul would have understood this very well. If you go all the way back to the chapter of Acts, chapter 9, the latter part, what's going on? We know Acts 9 is Paul comes to faith. He has his own conversion experience. But we know that Paul was a persecutor of the church. He, 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 he beat people up. He martyred people. He caused havoc on the church. And on the road to Damascus, he's going to imprison the believers of people called the way or Christians. And he's going to cause trouble on them. But he comes to faith, right? And when he comes to faith, he has this traumatic faith. He goes blind. He goes into a room. And then there's Ananias that comes, prays over him. He, 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 he gets his eyesight back. And, and now what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem and he's trying to meet with the disciples. But the disciples aren't buying it. Like, dude, I don't know, man. I don't know if Paul's conversion is true. I don't know. I don't want to meet with him. And, and the disciples didn't want to meet with him. And what do you find in the story? You find what Barnabas, the son of encouragement, advocating on behalf of Paul saying, hey man, his conversion is legit. Like he's transformed. Like he's been talking to the people. He's been talking to Jews about who Jesus is. He's a converted Jew. He's a Jew for Jesus. His conversion is true. And we see, what do we see? We see Barnabas mediating and advocating for Paul. Paul would have understood the importance of advocating and standing in the gap for people that maybe can't advocate for themselves. Sometimes we have to be advocators. Sometimes we have to be mediators in, in the Christian. We got to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. See, these are, this is what our call for the church is right now. And sometimes we got to speak on behalf of those that are oppressed, on behalf of those that have been hurting, on behalf of those things. And that's what you find in the story. You find Paul advocating and standing in the midst before Philemon. And he even, calls, he even calls to play their own commitment in their own relationship because the story is really about relationships. It's about deep relationships between Paul and Philemon. And what does he say? Listen, Philemon, man, we're co-laborers in the Lord. We're co-laborers in the kingdom, right? When he says, you count me as a partner, that word count in the Greek can translate to be closely joined to a person or a thing. If you count me your friend, receive Onesimus. Take him back. In fact, Philemon, receive him like you would have received me. How would you have received me, Philemon? You would have, you would have been kind and loving to me. Be the same way to Onesimus. Receive him back. You know, that's a, that's a high request by Paul. Why? Because he loves Onesimus dearly. We read that in, in, the, in the text. That Onesimus, who wasn't profitable, is now profitable. I wanted to keep him because he's been such a, a servant for me. He's been, been such a blessing while I'm incarcerated in this house arrest, gaffled and chained into soldiers. But he's been refreshing to my soul. But I know I got to reconcile him back to you. I got to advocate that this relationship be restored. 
And, and that's what he's doing here. But know this, that Onesimus, his status has changed, Philemon. His status has changed. He's now a brother in the faith, right? He's now part of the family. He's part of the kingdom of God. I think as we look at this picture, Paul is painting a different type of picture, kind of a broader picture, a broader stroke in the painting and the canvas. What is he painting here? Our own walk and picture in Christ, right? We know that Jesus advocated for us. We know that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. We don't have to read that in Romans 8, 34. He's our mediator, right? He's the bridge between man and God. He's our, our mediator. He's our advocate. He, he goes between us, 1 Timothy 2, 15. And what did he do? He receives us, right? We're, we're, we're accepted in the beloved in Ephesians 1, 16. We become part of the family. All of us in some ways rob God. How do we rob God? We robbed him of not believing the truth. We robbed him a lot of different things before Christ. But now he's advocated to the Father and he's still advocating even now on our behalf. He's our, he's our lawyer, right? In the courtroom advocating for us and defending us right now before the Father because we have an accuser of the brethren who say, man, don't receive this brother and sister because do you know all that they've done? And you know, you know what they thought and how they lived and what they did? But Jesus is like, nah, covered by the blood. The price has been paid. It's all good. You know what I mean? We see that here in the story. What's the truth in all this? We were like slaves trying to be accepted in the family. And now we're like sinners that got accepted into a family. Right? We, we got received in because of God. But Paul goes a little deeper with Philemon in this relationship. You know what I mean? And, and you have to understand, for, to, to have the words that Paul is sharing, that means that their relationship had to be pretty deep. It wasn't a shallow relationship to do the things that Paul is doing with, with Philemon. And I want to challenge you in the relationships that you have with people. I want to challenge you how deep you go in your friendships that you can be held accountable to things in your life and, and things in your walk so you can grow. You know, sometimes blessed are the wounds of a friend. And that's not a bad thing. That's a friend saying, brother, I love you, but I want you to be mindful of these things in your life. Those are good things. I'd rather be wounded by a friend than wounded by an enemy. And so we see here Paul speaking out. He says, look at, look at Philemon. In fact, I'm bringing this to because you, you actually owe a debt to me. Whoa. He's, you owe a debt to me. Look at verse 18. But if he, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Paul owned the debt. He's going to own the debt here. Is what he's going to do here. Now, I want you to understand that Paul is not ignoring Onesimus' wrong or crime or condoning his actions. He's not doing that. Because some people would think like, oh, now he just gets away from all that he's done. You got to understand that the consequences for being a runaway slave, the consequences for what he had done actually was death. Was death. In fact, we know that, remember, he's writing not just to Philemon. We opened up the story. He's writing to his whole family because he mentions his wife. He mentions his son because the whole family was affected by the decision on Onesimus. We know the ramification of sin. We know the ramifications when we make poor choices or do things that not just affects one person, it affects whole families of decisions that people make. And so he's writing the story to this whole family because he's saying, listen, I'm not trying to cast off what he's done wrong. But what he's saying is I'm setting Onesimus back to make it right. I'm setting it back to make it right. I want reconciliation. I want restoration. We don't have to go back to verses 12 and 13 to see the appeal there in the verse. You know what? We still need to take care of the wrongs we did before Christ. We still need to take care of that. 
We need to reconcile the hurt we caused. That's relational. Or the trauma we caused, that's societal. Or the debt we incurred because of our poor decisions, that's financial. We're still responsible for the things that we have done in our lives. We don't just get away from them. Sometimes we're going to see, many of you might have come to faith in Christ or come to know Christ and you come from a kind of a shady background. I know a lot of you are like that here. But, um, and sometimes you say, look at God, I'm trying to get right now. Doesn't mean that the, that the, the wave of your wrong just passes by. There's, there could still be consequences to your actions. And some of that could come years later. You don't even remember what, when you did it. Some of that could be the outcome. Some of that stuff could be there for a lifetime just because of what you've done. Doesn't mean that you're not washed by the blood. Doesn't mean that God's not working in you. God's doing a work in Onesimus' life, but there's still consequences that he needs to face. I think of Zacchaeus. You all know the story. We read it here in Luke 19. He's the chief tax collector. He's the thug of the tax collector. He's the godfather of tax collector. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew served under Zacchaeus, right? He would have been one of his thugs under Zacchaeus because he, it says that Zacchaeus was the chief uh, chief tax collector. You remember the story? Jesus is coming in. Jericho, he's hanging out. He wants to meet Jesus. He's blown away. He's a short little dude. He can't see over the crowd. The, the multitudes are there. So he climbs up into a tree and Jesus is coming and sees Zac Zacchaeus in the tree. Now get this. I want you to hear this, guys. Why was Zacchaeus in the tree? Something because he was short. No, Zacchaeus was despised. He was hated by people. Can you imagine Jesus coming and the crowd surrounding him, but they, want, they, didn't want, they didn't want anything to do with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus couldn't go into the crowd where the people was because the people hated him. He could have been, you know, beat up. He could have been whatever. So he climbs up into the tree. I call that the tree of shame. And he climbs up into the tree and he's in this tree and he's looking out and then Jesus comes. Nowhere do we know that Zacchaeus talked to Jesus, but Jesus says Zacchaeus. So Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to go break some bread with you at your house. And so he goes to the house and he, children, we don't know the conversation. We don't know what, I don't know if Jesus threw out the four spiritual laws. I don't know what he did, but he broke bread. But something transpired in that house. Some words were taken and Zac, something changed Zacchaeus miraculously. I love that about the evangelism of Jesus. It was, it was breaking bread. It was hanging with the people. It was just talking and chilling and conversing. That's what we do today. That's what we're called to do with the world is just be and love and share and break bread and just share our life with them. And in that, the salt and life will take place. But it was so radical that Zacchaeus comes back out of that meeting. And what, is, what does the scripture say there? That he gave paid back four times the amount that he had taken, number one, four times. No, nowhere in the law did he say he had to pay four times. Only time we see being paid four times back is when somebody took your cow in the law. So if you took one cow, you got to pay back four cows. But it also says in the passage that he gave, 50, gave away 50% of his wealth to the poor. Nowhere in the law did it say he had to do that. But out of the generosity of his heart, out of the transformation of his heart, he paid out out of his own free will. It says a lot about the gospel and what the gospel do with your heart. The generosity of Zacchaeus being transformed. Jesus received Zacchaeus. I can imagine the work of, that Zacchaeus did for the kingdom. What Paul is saying this here, he says, Philemon, if Onesimus has wronged you, and we believe he wrought Philemon and he ran away, if he hurt you, if he violated your family, in your relationship, is he committed a crime against you? First of all, he writes, maybe God used this 
for the good. We know that Joseph was put in prison and what meant for evil, God turned for good. Maybe in all this, by the sovereignty of God, he robs you, he fled to Rome, he meets me, he hears the gospel, he was unprofitable, he becomes profitable, and now I'm sending it back to you to reconcile so he can be profitable. Maybe God's working that all out. He's working, he's, he's, he does that in people's lives. And he, and he says, God's doing this great work. Let's not stop what he's doing. But if he owes you anything, put it on me. I'll carry his debt. I'll own his debt. I'll pay the tab. Charge his debt to me. What is Paul doing? He's carrying the burden of Onesimus. I'm going to carry this burden. I'm going to own it on behalf of Onesimus. I'm going to stand in the gap on behalf of Onesimus. I'm going to own the debt. That's imputation. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to take it. Didn't Jesus say that we're called to carry one another's burdens and struggle and difficulties in life? Man, there's a lot of people hurting today that really need people to come alongside them and carry them. I think, again, what's the whole picture you're seeing here? Because even in Paul's writings to Philemon, we see a, a bigger picture, right? Did not God pay our debt? Did God own our debt? Did, not we, did he not put it on his account? Account that we are sinners for the wages of sin is death, but he took that account. We are justified. We sang a song, the testimony, we are justified by faith, meaning we're acquitted of sins and he imputed, with, he imputed his righteousness, that he made us right before God. And because Christ was the propitiation of sacrifice for our sins, he imputed his righteousness that we can have imparted righteousness, that we can live out his righteousness before people. But he owned that. God owned that on our behalf. That's the picture we see here. But I want you to see things. Look at the three characters that are in the story, right? Look at the obedience of each of the characters that God is calling. Look at the story, the character of Philemon, right? One of the servants of the church at Colossae. They were meeting in his home. What is Paul writing to him? He says, this is what I'm asking out of obedience, Philemon, that you need to forgive and not be embittered. <laughs> you need to forgive. You need, you need to receive Onesimus. What is, what is Paul asking of Onesimus to do? What is his obedient act to do, right? He needs to repent and be reconciled. He turns from his way. He needs to, to make it right. That's the, that's the requirement of, of act of obedience that he's asking of Onesimus. What does, he ask, what does Paul ask of himself that Paul took on the role as a peacemaker and a mediator? Maybe some of us, when there's turmoil and trials among the brethren or whatever, that we need to be the peacemakers and the reconcilers in the story. We all have a role in this kingdom ministry. We all have a role in the story. All of us have a, a role of obedience and all that is profitable. And so we need to be advocators. I think number two, obedience means my word is golden or my word is true. Look at 19 and 20. We're going to see that here. You know, Paul is giving a Philemon a promissory note, a.k.a. a note payable, Right? A promissory note is a legal document in which one party promises in writing to pay a determined sum of money to the other, either at fixed or determined future time or on demand of the pay under specific terms. Paul's writing with his own hands because he is drawing up a spiritual legal document as a promise in this letter to pay any debt that Onesimus has occurred. Right? Paul is putting his signature on his word. Look at verse 19. It says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hands. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me, even, owe me even your own self besides. I'm giving you a written word. You say, you know what, guys, when we commit our words, 
We need to be true to our word. The Bible still said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Man, I'm troubled when, when people get in agreements or believers get agreements for work and then they violate the contract. Oh, this didn't work out for me. If you said yes to something, then you hold your word. That's how the believer is to walk. Even at the expense that you made a bad decision and you lose. But your word is true. And Paul's saying, I'm writing this very thing because my word is true. We know that oftentimes in Paul's writings, he would dictate letters. He would talk and somebody else would write it. Why? Some believe he had, he had poor eyesight and it was difficult for him to see. We know that Paul had many uh, physical illnesses from his traveling. Some even believe that there was oozing in his eyes and there's pus coming out of his eyes because of all the sickness of the traveling and ministry that he had done. And so, but we find in this letter, it's a little different because he's talking about how he's written himself. In fact, something is written in big letters. I think this is a special letter to a, a special friend on an important issue and it's worth it to write it himself because of the content. I can only imagine the words, I will repay in big letters, in large capital letters is what he's doing here. I think he's only affirming against his commitment made in verse 18 about holding on to the debt. But he, he goes again, he goes a little deeper, a little deeper with the relationship. Finally, remember, I was instrumental in sharing Christ with you. I was instrumental in you coming to the Lord. He's reminding Philemon of his own conversion. And Paul, his role, his spiritual father in the story, who, his mentor in the story, he was the instrument used by God to bring Philemon to faith. I think Philemon remembers the words of Jesus inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, do it to me. Remember, God was gracious to you. Now you be gracious to Onesimus. God saved you and God saved Onesimus. Be careful that we don't mix things up here. He's, Paul is saying in some ways, remember how Jesus treated you? Remember how I treated you, Onesimus? Now treat him, uh, Paul, uh, Philemon, now treat Onesimus the same way. Treat him the same way, right? Like receive him. As Christ received you, receive Onesimus. And what Paul is saying is, I'm coming to collect a debt, Philemon. <laughs> I'm coming to, to collect a debt because you owe me your life. Credit due on the account. Guys, we have to pay the credit card somewhere. We have to pay the debt sometime, all right? But you know what? Sometimes we could be like the ungrateful servant. Where God's forgiven us of our debt. He's made us right, right? We re read the story, a parable in Matthew 18 of, the, of just the servant that was unforgiven. You remember there was a master and there was a servant in this, and this servant owned a, a large debt. Sometimes it was equivalent to $10,000 at that time. And he, and he couldn't pay the debt. And he could have gone to prison and he could have been enslaved as a slave to pay off his debt, but it was so much he would have never ever paid it off. But the master, after hearing the petition of this servant said, hey man, I'm writing your, I'm writing your debt clean. It's clean, go, go be. And it, the story says that the servant went out and saw another brother who owed him a couple bucks, the scripture says, right? Just a couple of bucks, a hundred denarii, like 20 bucks. And he grabbed him and he said, hey, give me your money. You owe me this 20 bucks. He goes, oh man, I don't have it. Can you give me a little bit more time? No. And he throws him into prison. No. And he throws him away. There were people watching it, what was going on. And they go back to the master. He goes, hey, you know that guy you forgave 10K from? He just threw somebody in jail for 20 bucks. 
And my master called him back. And he said, why didn't you have compassion and pity like I had compassion and pity on you? So my heavenly father also do to you if you, each of you do from his heart does not forgive his brother and his trespasses. That was the words of Jesus on that story. God's forgiven us our debt. Should we not forgive the debt of others? Isn't that the Lord's prayer? Forgive us our debt is that we forgive those who brought debt against us. Isn't that the prayer, prayer that we pray in the Lord's prayer? But I love this about Paul. Paul was trusting in the obedient response from Philemon. Look at verse 20. Yes, brothers, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Philemon, your obedience will bring great joy to me. Wow. Your obedience will bring great joy to me. My brother, my partner, my friend, my co-laborer. In fact, the ancient Greek word for joy is, is, is a Greek word named onimenimi. It translates profit. Go back and look if you do those Bibles. It translates profit. It's the root word for name onisimus. means useful or profitable. Paul is saying there's a great profit when we forgive, receive, restore, and redeem relationships. There's a great profit. That profit is great joy. Didn't Jesus say, I write these words that your joy would be full? We know the scriptures is about bringing joy. And he's saying here, refresh my heart by your obedience to receive my brother in the faith. I know you're a man that refreshes others. We've, in fact, Pastor Nate read verse seven this morning. You're a man that refreshes others earlier in the chapter. Now refresh me by honoring my request. By honoring my request, you strengthen me, Philemon. You energize my faith and I find great rest in that. Guys, when we see the brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity and, and building one another and that, it refreshes the body, it energizes the body, it strengthens the body. In a world that's so divided and has unrest, the church needs to be a place where there is rest and there is unity. That we're setting the example of that. We know that Paul closes his letter in 1 Corinthians by mentioning three people, Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus. And he shares that, that these men, about these men, that they refreshed my spirit. 1 Corinthians 16, 18. Guys, when we encourage and we go through the process of forgiveness, that we're refreshing one another's spirits. That's what we do. So walking in obedience will refresh many, will strengthen many. Can Paul put your name on his list? Yeah. Can he put your name, Mara, you refresh others? Can he put your name on there? Can your name be listed among the people who refresh others? And lastly, guys, the third thing, obedience means going the second mile. We see that in verses 21 and 22. You know what? Obedience can be difficult because it's not our nature. We have a sin nature. We have a broken nature. And that nature wars, Right? I have a dog, he's named Benny. And I love to play fetch, fetch, fetch with my dog. He brings me his little ball and I throw it. And Benny will go chase that little ball and he'll grab it and he'll bring it back to me. And when I try to grab it, right, what does he do? When I try to receive the ball, he bites down on the ball. He bites down on it and it's hard to pull it out, right? He resists me, he refuses to let go. And that's, you ever get dogs when they do it and you have to go like this? and you're fighting, and you're wiggling, and a dog like that, he'll go, he's great to go do the command to fetch, he'll come back, but when you want to pull that ball, he, he, he bites down too hard. A lot of us are like Benny, like we'll obey certain things, but when we have to let go of certain things that we need to let go, we resist. We resist. And we go like this, we're like, no, God, and God's like, give it to me. And you're like, no, you're the guy. Right? 
Finally, men, quit resisting and let go. People, church, keep resisting and let go. Let go and let God do this great work in you. It'll bring you great joy. It's profitable to release the hurt for us. It's profitable because God has the blessing of joy coming here. Obedience goes beyond measure. Look at 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I'm, I'm confident in the relationship. I know your character, Philemon. I know who you are. I know your walk in the Lord. And I'm making this intense, crazy request. But I know you're going to even do more than I ask. That's, that's the faith he has in, in Philemon in this letter. What an encouragement about his character. Confident. He was confident that Philemon would go beyond what was required. Paul is believing the best in Philemon. Do we believe in the best of one another? Believing the best? I think Jesus challenges us the same thing, the same thought in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. He says this, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Uh, go, uh, turn the other to him also. Go with him in, for two. And it says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Interesting. Wait a minute. What is Jesus saying here? Whoever offends you or hurts you, turn the other cheek. Well, that was the, the Old Testament law was what, you know, pay evil for evil. That was the Old Testament law. This is, be just with what we're doing. If you violated eye for an eye, two for, that was the Old Testament law and structure, right? But Jesus is teaching us a different way of thinking, a, a different mindset, a kingdom mindset. In fact, turning the other cheek can be seen as a form of pacifism, right? Oh, like weakness or, oh, you just want to do that, right? But Jesus is going deeper. In fact, in Jewish culture, the cheek was the symbol of relationship. So to strike on the cheek meant you were attacking the relationship. To strike the cheek meant that you wanted to, they wanted to hurt you. Philemon felt the blow of being victimized. But to give the other cheek means to re-offer the relationship, to re-up on the relationship, right? To be, to be the reconciler. That's why he illustrates with the tunic. If he takes your tunic, give him your cloak. If he asks you to go one mile, go with him. Two, in some way, Philemon, take the blow, offer up a new relationship with Onesimus because we never overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. Man, that's hard. That's hard. A lot of us will struggle with that. But that's, that's the obedience. That's the command that God gives us in our own walk with God and give more than is expected. I know you're going to give more. I know you're going to go the second mile, Philemon, right? Be like the father in the prodigal, right? Be like the father in the prodigal story, right? We know the father threw a party, killed a fatted calf, gave him new clothes, a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and he spared no expense. He received his son back. May we do the same. We know the father went beyond measure for the lost son, but we can't be like the prodigal brother, who is bitter at his brother and father and resentful and angry. Why are you doing that? I've been with you, dad, this whole time and, 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 and my brother went out and blew all the cash, all the retirement. He saw you as dead because he wanted the inheritance of his father. He dishonored you. 
I've been here honoring you and in the house and serving and doing all this. You didn't, you didn't throw a party for me. The father, and the father says to the son, your brother was lost, but now he's found. We got to celebrate that. But some of us could be in the house like the prodigal son, the son of the prodigal, son of the father. Let's not hold on to that. Let's rejoice when others come back. Let's rejoice when those who are far off have come near. Let's rejoice. doesn't matter what they've done. God's grace is sufficient. Love covers a multitude of sin, the scripture says. That's, that's this, this what we're called to live by. Paul was confident in his relationship and following him as we close in verse 22. He says, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Huh? <laughs> hey, hey, homie. <laughs> hey, bro. Get the bedroom ready. I want to come see you. I know your prayers are powerful. So I know because your prayers are powerful, I know you're going to open a door for me to come be there and be with you. Prepare a lodging or a guest room for me. You know why this, he's speaking truth to Philemon, but this situation didn't strain Paul and Philemon's relationship. Oh man, I can't believe you're talking like that. I'm not talking, I'm gonna defriend you. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the culture, cancel culture. We live in a cancel culture. You don't see it my way, man, or you don't understand, I'm the, you're not my friend anymore. We don't see that happening here, right? Paul knew this family well and their hospitality and their generosity. We see the depth of their relationship. I just want to come chill with your pad, man. I, I'm locked up. I'm gaffled up. I'm here in prison. But I know your prayers are powerful. And I know you're gonna, God's going to open the door for me to come see you, right? Same thing spiritually. God has gone to prepare a place for us. John, four, John 14. Gone to prepare a place. Waiting to come back and get us one day because of our relationship with him. And we know that Paul has confidence in Philemon's prayer because he's going to make a way. He's building unity among the brethren. Guys, obedience is what God's called us. It's profitable. It brings joy. It brings restoration. It brings reconciliation. Maybe think about a relationship that's been strained. This is Thanksgiving. We're going into Christmas. This is a time where you spend a lot of time with your family. Sometimes people don't want to get together because of strained relationships in the season. But God says, you know what? The greatest poison we can swallow is our pride. Swallow it and reconcile and mend for the unity of God, that that would be a great testimony. That's, that's the heart that the believer is called to walk in. I'll leave you with these three thoughts. Obedience means interceding for others or advocating for others. There's times you have to stand up for others. Obedience means my word is golden. My word is true. We, gotta, we, gotta, we make a commitment, we commit. We make a commitment to Christ, that's a full commitment. Obedience means number three, it means going the second mile, going the distance. Going more than God has asked us. Going more in the church. Going more at your work. Going more with other people. Yeah, it gets tiring and inconvenient. But Jesus went the second mile to me. You know what? Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave all his blood. You know what I mean? And so he gave it all. He went the second mile. He went everything. God tithed his son or gave his son, all his son, not the tenth of his son, all of it. May we as God's people give all because he owns it all. Amen? And great joy and blessings will come in the obedience. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray for your people this morning, Lord, as we've heard your word, we know there's a blessing in the hearing and the reading of your word. And I pray this morning as we partake of communion, Lord, that we could talk about this reconciling power that you've given us through the cross and through the blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.